0: I have to tell you, I am really glad to be here today. This has been such an amazing week for me. First off, I was blessed to be a part of delivering the children's Bibles this week, and it was so much fun to see our young children and their families and to meet them in person, if you will. It was great opportunity to see what this church means in the lives of so many of our families. And then to hear this beautiful music this morning and to see these. One of the things I like about virtual worship is that it gives us more variety of voices in worship and how we have these pre-recorded scriptures and can use so many different people as part of the process. So thank you one and all for all that you've given to make this worship special today. Would you pray with me? And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto thee, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, it's been said there are only two sure things in life, death and taxes. I don't know too many people that enjoy paying taxes, but it was even worse in Jesus' day. The Romans levied many taxes on their occupied countries, including a poll tax, which was required of every adult. Well, this tax infuriated the Jewish people because it forced them to pay homage to Caesar. It was so hated, in fact, that in AD 6, Judas of Galilee led a vain attempt to against the Romans because of this very tax. So when the Pharisees and the Herodians team up to trap Jesus, they think, now we've got him. Either way, Jesus answers, he would lose. If he answered, no, don't pay the tax, the Herodians would tell the Romans and Jesus would be executed for treason. If Jesus answered, yes, pay the tax, the Pharisees would tell everyone and Jesus would lose popularity in supporting such an unpopular tax. There was no good answer except the response Jesus gave. How much would it cost to be a member of First Presbyterian Church? What if we just assessed the tax on our members as a way of funding our ongoing ministry? They did that in colonial times in this very area. Now, I'm a math geek, and so I enjoy these kinds of puzzles. So I got out my paper and pencil and discovered something fun. If we were going to have taxes, we would have to cover the cost of providing our services, right? Well, Bob Smith has reported that our worship ministry costs $439,000 each year. And if we have an average of 400 worshipers, that would mean that it costs about $1,100 per member for worship. So that if you are a couple, that would be $2,200, a family of four, $4,400, and so forth. Well, because there are fewer involved in education, that costs even more. It's about $2,400 per person. So multiply that by the number of family members who attend some part of our education program, and you can add that on to the amount for worship. And then you do this for each of the ministry areas, multiply by the number of your family, and then you have your tax. See how easy? Well now some of you may be thinking, Bob, you're not figuring correctly. You need to divide the cost by the total membership, not just those who participate. And I see your point. So if we took the total expenses, 1,192,000. Wow, that's a big number, isn't it? And we divide that by our total membership, the per member amount would be about $1,000. But I would quickly add that almost two two thirds of our members are not involved in our congregation. We never see them and they provide no support. So a truer figure would be about $3,000 per member per year. That would be our tax. Aren't you glad we don't have taxes? Our church decided on a different approach to fund God's work, and at the same time to encourage Christians to grow. Instead of taxes, we choose to trust. We don't require a certain amount from each member in order to participate in the life of the church, no. Instead, we make church free, if you will, and simply trust our members to determine in a fair fair way how much they will give to contribute toward this ministry. Now, this system means that there are times when the church leaders will come to the membership with reports on the ministry and mission and the projected needs for support, which is exactly what the session is doing right now. And then they trust us to make informed, prayerful decisions about how much we will contribute to support this ministry. And then we trust them, in turn, to make good plans accordingly and to keep us informed on the ministry. See, trust actually runs both ways, doesn't it? So how much should we give to the church? There are many ways to determine a number I heard a story years ago about three guys who were discussing it, about discussing at church, about their stewardship methods. The first man began by saying, well, I cash my paycheck, I draw a circle on the floor, and I throw the money up in the air, and the money that falls inside the circle goes to God, and I keep what falls outside of the circle. And the second one said, well, I do something very similar, except God gets what falls outside of the circle, and I get what falls inside the circle. The third guy just said, hmm, I throw my money up in the air, and whatever God catches, God can keep. Well, Ginger and I came up with a different method that works for us. I mentioned last week that throughout our married life, we've committed to tithe our income to God. Well, of our tithe, we give half of it to the local congregation we're serving. And the other half is divided across other ministries we've served and supported for many years. Now, this isn't the only way. This is just another way. But if you're not pledging or giving anything, the best advice I can give you today is to pledge and give something. Like I suggested last week, start at $20 a week. And if that's too much, try $10 or even $5 a week. And if that's not enough, go to $30, $40, $50 and adjust it as you need to. Remember, a pledge is a good faith estimate of your commitment to supporting next year's ministry. If circumstances change, so can your pledge. What doesn't change is that you've made a commitment and are fulfilling it to the best of your ability and to the glory of God. Now, if you already pledge and give, consider increasing it in some way. Now, some figure their increase based on their last year's pledge, like increasing by a dollar amount or a percentage. And our leaders have said that we'll need a 5% overall increase in pledges for next year. So that's a good place to start. We know some people won't be able to do that, so if you can do more than 5%, great. If you're not able to do 5 do less. Personally, I prefer to connect my giving, making it proportional to my resources, that is to my income, so that as God blesses me with more or less, well, my giving increases or decreases accordingly. It's really pretty simple to do. You write down how much you pledged last year and gave. And then you write down your income and you divide your income into your pledge. And that will give you, the other way around, divide your pledge into your income. And that will give you the amount, your percentage that you have pledged. The average Presbyterian pledges two and a half percent of their income. So let's start there. And if that's what you're doing, consider increasing it 1%, so this year to pledge 3.5%. If that's too much, just pledge 3% more, 3% of your income. If that's not enough, go 4%, go 2% more, whatever works for you. But the key is to be looking at it intentionally, making plans, and making a commitment. And keep working on this each year until you finally reach 10%, a tithe. And that's when the real fun begins. Now, why is it so hard and awkward to come up with a figure to pledge? How can we hold on to something so tightly that's actually borrowed? When we have something for a long time, sometimes it's hard to remember where it came from. If we borrowed a tool and it's been in our garage so long that we can forget who we borrowed it from, and we can begin to assume that it's ours because it's been in our garage a long time, it's easy to forget where it originally came from. And we can assume it's been ours all along. Well Jesus caught them at their own game. Instead of saying saying yes or no, he simply said, show me a coin. And apparently Jesus didn't carry cash, or he was just springing their own trap on their own little fingers. As they reached into their purses and pulled out the graven image, the Jewish leaders knew they were caught in their own trap. They had already given in to Caesar and were simply trying to take Jesus down with them. The trappers were trapped by their own trap. Whose image in which are we made? Whose image is impressed on each and every one of us? See, trust goes both ways. Shannon Johnson Kirshner, that amazing pastor at Fourth Presbyterian Church in Chicago, suggests that we look at God's ownership in two ways. What if instead of just looking at saying, everything we have belongs to God, she starts, we also say, everything that God has belongs to us. I love that. This trust thing goes both ways. A little girl went to the doctor for her checkup. The doctor wanted her to feel comfortable, so she asked the little girl questions as she did the exam. She looks in the little girl's ear and asks, is Minnie Mouse in there? And the little girl says, no. And then she looks in her nose and asks, is little kitty in here? No, the little girl squeals. And then the doctor puts the stethoscope on her chest and asks, is Tinkerbell in here? And the little girl suddenly gets serious and says, oh, no. Jesus is in my heart. Tinkerbell is on my underwear. (laughs) Now, friends, I don't know exactly who's on your underwear this morning. But I do know who is in your heart, Jesus the perfect embodiment of God who came to live among us and reveal God's real nature and deepest desires, Jesus, the teacher who spoke truth that confounded the stubborn and gave hope to all who would listen, Jesus, the Savior who gave his life that we all might have life now and forevermore. Jesus, who reminds us of the image in which we were made and for what sacred purpose we were created. Friends, we know that Jesus is in our hearts. God has placed him there for a sacred purpose. And God trusts us to see the resemblance and to respond accordingly. Everything that we have is God's. And everything that God has is ours. That is good news. Thanks be to God.